And I think many of us can actually identify with Peter. We can relate to him because we act before we think, we speak before we think, we trust ourselves before we trust someone else, we speak up, but for all the wrong reasons. Am I right? We relate to Peter because we really, really, really want to be like Jesus. But when it comes down to the bottom line, when it comes down to making that commitment, we deny him, we sink, we have more words than we have actions. Commitment is a difficult thing for many people, men and women alike. We talk about our commitment, we even make plans, maybe we even set some goals. But when it comes time to pull the trigger, to cross the line, to step up to the plate, we sink. Up to this point in Scripture, Peter had been walking with Jesus for close to three years. He followed him everywhere. Peter was there when Jesus changed the water to wine, when Jesus challenged him to step out the boat, and when Jesus called Lazarus out the grave. The Bible tells us that one time, and we've already heard this scripture read, this series, after the resurrection of Lazarus, that when the disciples were together, they went out on the boat, they'd fished all night, they'd caught nothing, and the next morning, Jesus saw them on the lake, he calls out to them, points out the obvious, and he says, hey guys, did you catch anything? Jesus can be a little bit blunt, eh? <laughs> points out the obvious. What does he do next? He says to them, throw your nets out on the other side. You'll find some fish. Reluctantly, they do so. They caught so many in the net, they were unable to haul it in. They had to get another boat to come help them. The Bible says they were all large fish. There were so many, they counted them. Isn't that what fishermen do? They count things and they measure the size. There were 153 fish. Peter saw some powerful miracles during his time with Jesus. He saw all these miracles, but yet when it came right down to it, when this young servant girl said to him, aren't you the one I saw with Jesus? He says to her, I'm not. He was asked, in fact, two more times. And each time he gives the same response. Not me, I don't know him. For three years walking with Jesus, hearing his teachings, seeing the difference Jesus made in one life after another, what Peter must have felt on the day Jesus was crucified must have been more than difficult. His hope was snatched away. Their plans were torn apart. Suddenly everything must have seemed out of their control. And if words could somehow sum up what Peter and the other disciples felt that day, it might, might sound something like this. We've lost. We gave up our families. We gave up everything. Now you're gone. We've lost. Chapter 18, verse 10, tells us that Peter fought for Jesus. Peter cut off the ear of the man named Malchus. Five, verse la five verses later in verse 15, Peter, along with the other disciple, follows Jesus. Knowing that the Jews felt that one man should die for the people, they still followed him. Knowing that there was a real possibility that Jesus could be, be killed, they still stood with him. And two verses later, in verse 17, the servant girl keeping watch when they arrived at the door recognizes him as having been with Jesus, asks the question, and Peter says, no, not me, you've got the wrong guy. 
We all struggle with commitment on a daily basis. We have good intentions, but when it comes down to signing on the dotted line, we get cold feet. There's a thing called buyer's remorse. I'm sure you've all heard of it. Perhaps you've even experienced it before. You weigh all the pros and cons in making a decision. It's usually a major decision, and then you finally go after it. Perhaps weeks or months after making the decision, you suddenly get this feeling in the pit of your stomach, and now you regret your decision. It's said the reason many people have buyer's remorse is directly related to the cost. The higher the cost, the bigger the remorse can be. I read that the average home buyer looks for 10 weeks before making a purchase. And after viewing hundreds of homes on the internet or in retail, uh, rental shops, and at viewing at least 40, many home buyers still get buyer's remorse. The more you are involved, the more remorse you can have. The more money you spend, the more regret you can experience. The bigger the commitment, the more it weighs on your conscience. But there are two things I would say about that related to our commitment to Christ. The first one, we should give heavy consideration to any major commitment we make in life. These commitments should never be made without great thought. We all know in financial decisions, Credit cards have gotten plenty of people in trouble because, frankly, it's just too easy to pop your credit card down on a table and only a month later when you get the bill, you see how much you've actually spent. And secondly, in the same way, when we are contemplating making a commitment to Christ, we should never make it casually. There is a prayer we commonly refer to as the sinner's prayer, and the person praying that prayer usually says something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. Today I trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There have been thousands of people who've prayed that prayer and have been saved. But as far as regret is concerned, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I've never known anyone, not one person, who gave their life to Christ and then had any form of regret. But here's the thing. It's not the words in the sinner's prayer that will save you. Someone could repeat that prayer without making any commitment whatsoever in their heart. The power is not in those words. The power comes from two other places. The power is in the blood of Jesus that saves us. And secondly, the power is in the commitment we are making when we make it from the heart. When it's genuine. When we mean it. The Bible tells us the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God cannot save us if our hearts are stubborn, if our heart is cold. More than anything about us, he looks at our hearts. When we pray, he looks at our hearts. When we read out his word, he works on the heart to soften it, to cleanse it, to make us more like him. More than anything about us, God looks at our heart. And I believe God looked at Peter's heart. But in that moment in John 18, for Peter, Jesus at that moment had become a liability. In this unexpected situation, on the receiving end of an innocent question by a teenage girl, Peter can't bring himself to admit the reality. He is a disciple. 
He's feeling vulnerable. He's feeling cornered. For Peter, Jesus is his friend, the one who called him right at the very beginning of the ministry. He's seen mercy in action. He's understood grace firsthand. He's watched Jesus work and spent time with Jesus one-on-one. But just for the moment, it's not quite enough to bring Peter over the line to freely admit that he is a disciple. I'm going to add a few characters to this tale that appear a little bit earlier in Scripture than what we'd read. We meet Annas, the father of, uh, father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas. This was the guy who they brought Jesus to in verse 12. And Caiaphas is the guy who told the Jewish leaders that they needed someone to die for the people. So they're all present in the story. I've got a picture of them gathered there, Christelle, if you can pop it all up. There's Annas, there's Caiaphas, there's Jesus, there's Peter. John's even there. But Peter's in denial. But the question I want to ask is, what would you have done on that night? I'm not saying put yourself in the shoes of Peter or Annas or Caiaphas. Rather, just imagine you are there, and you are watching all of this go on. Would you have stood by Jesus? Would you have taken more time to understand what was happening? Would you cry out that the whole process is unfair and a total miscarriage of justice? Would you grab Peter and say, come on, pull yourself together? Sometimes we look at Scripture and we ask ourselves those kinds of questions, don't we? Would I have listened to the snake? Would I have worshipped the golden calf? Would I have listened to the warnings of the prophets? Would I have believed John the Baptist? Would I have followed Jesus? It's helpful at times to answer questions like that. But the reality is we never really know the answer, do we? So always the better question to ask is, what am I doing with Jesus now? And specifically in response to this passage, do I live a life of denial? It might be the way we use our time or plan our working day. It could show in the way we form relationships or treat other people, in the use of our language and the way we speak to others. Perhaps it's the allocation of our finances or the structure of our time. You don't have to be a pretend high priest on a power trip or a fearful disciple from the inner circle of Jesus' followers. Denial happens when we think we can live our life in such a way that it takes Jesus out the picture. Was Jesus in your life picture last week? Yesterday? First thing this morning? Will Jesus be in your life picture this afternoon? Tomorrow? Next week? This is a question a disciple needs to ask. Sometimes we can think that disciple means someone who is super spiritual, but that's not how Jesus sees it. John 18 verse 19 tells us that Annas questions Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And I'm going to read you his answer. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. Surely they know what I said. That is a disciple. It is someone who knows what Jesus said. 
You may know heaps about what Jesus said. You may know very little. But the process is the same. Discipleship is about taking that which you have heard Jesus say and making that truth part of the picture of your life. Which means that there will be days when you'll be very aware that we've messed up in our relationships with Jesus. And that's where Peter is, isn't he? But Annas' denial causes him to just get Jesus out of his life. Pass him off to Caiaphas and let Caiaphas deal with him. John makes that outcome very clear. But John doesn't tell us what Peter does. The other Gospels tell us what Peter does. They all say that Peter wept bitterly. John's Gospel doesn't tell us. All we are left with at the end of John's Gospel, for the moment, is the crowing of the rooster in our ears. The crowing of failure. But the truth is, Peter is still a disciple, isn't he? And that is the big reality we need to see in these verses. Denial is not the end of the Christian road. It is part of the Christian journey. Some days, maybe many days, we might have the crowing of the rooster in our ears, the crowing of failure. But as long as we are not like Annas, Annas who is blatantly ignoring the truth that is coming out of the mouth of Jesus, as long as we are not accusing Jesus of lying or being secretive, as long as we don't ever treat Jesus with contempt, then our failure does not need to be the event that defines us. For while Peter is denying, somewhere else in the building, Jesus is not backing down. At this point in Scripture, by this time tomorrow, Jesus will be dead tomorrow. The one dying for the many, to cover all those times when the many have nothing but failure ringing in their ears. So how are you going to live for him today? How are you going to be a modern-day disciple? Let us pray. Lord, thank you that our failures are not final. Thank you that our failures do not define us. They are just a part of our journey. And Lord, thank you that you see our future and that our future as your children is secure with you in eternity. But Lord, thank you for the example of Peter. The example that we can learn from and grow from. So show us, Father, each one of us, how we can live as modern-day disciples. Challenge us to take what we know about Jesus and live it out in the world today. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to see our future, to know that we are greater than any of our failures. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.